Hello. Hello. How does my microphone sound? That's much better. Listeners, you may notice that Portia has upgraded this week because she now has a microphone on. Oh, well, hey, I'm, I'm happy to upgrade for your listening experience. <laughs> so so are you, do you have your intro script in front of you? Oh, crap, no. <laughs> I have today's script for the, um, let me get the intro script. I'm the one that made it. I should be able to find it. Uh, I'm I'm looking for it. Do the do do some kind of like background music while I look for it. Do 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 do. Okay, get it up. That was very helpful. Okay, good. Okay. All right, go ahead. Okay, you're listening to Pod. Welcome, as we Portia, the lifelong fan, and Amanda, first time reader. Discover the books of Agatha Christie. We are sisters who live on opposite ends of the U.S. doing a quarantine project and who love being soothed by British murder mysteries. In the shithole of a moment in history, it's nice to have Poirot or Miss Marple solve it all. Or in today's case, Tommy and Tuppence. Tommy and Tuppence solve it all. I love them. Oh God! I she wish there were more books as Tommy and Tuppence, and I'd be happy. I know. I wish she had written more Tommy and Tuppence. And I'm just like, ugh. Like I love Tommy and Tuppence. So I think fun too. Like I feel like the energy and the writing is really good, and the way that she, as you expressed in the one that we're going to get to, where she sort of expresses her fatigue with writing of a you know, Praro being of an ethnicity she didn't necessarily know that much about. I feel like when she writes Tommy and Tuppence, there's so much energy in it because she gets them. She knows those characters. They're her. Right, right. So, so it's funny because it's, it's, it is a collection of short stories, but it does really go together cohesively as a, as a work together. I think it works really well. Like, it doesn't feel like yeah, it doesn't feel like it's all over the place. It definitely feels like a, bit, like a couple of the stories take a few chapters, and I think it's really cohesive as a book. So the name of the book is Partners in Crime. It was published in 1929, um, and it is 14 mysteries. The premise is that Mr. Carter, um, who was the guy who set them on their way being master spies in their first one the secret adversary comes and says hey we'd like you to take over a detective agency that is actually a cover for something bad i never quite understood russians bad i don't know it's 1929 (sighs) who knows Uh, (laughs) well yeah so my understanding was that like this detective agency was some sort of a russian front it was like 1929 Putin or whoever right, <laughs> had some right. sort of a, a front and they arrested the guy who really owned the agency. Um, but they wanted to keep the cover of the agency going so that whatever Russian intel was coming in would still come to him. But he's arrested. So they want Tommy to impersonate him and Tubman's to be his assistant or whatever. But so that's kind of like where all the stories take place. 
So yeah, they just decide, okay, well, we, in that case, we get to take over a detective agency. And only three of the stories have to do with the big bad guys, the Russian spy, whatever it is. The rest are like separate stories. Um, and what's awesome is they decide, since they're not really detectives, and they have read all of the mystery novels that were out at the time, they were going to copy famous uh, detectives in fiction. It's so awesome. So, like, yeah, so they're like, they get a case. They're like, who should we pretend to be? Because we're kids and we don't know what the hell we're doing. So let's pretend to be Sherlock Holmes in this one or whatever. They just, like, basically are, like, faking it till they make it. And so it's so relatable. Totally awesome. Because they're just, like, playing a part and you can totally see that. And I love it because in the intro chapter, when um, when it starts off, like, Tuppence is basically whining. She's just like, go ahead. She says a, a nice quote, which we didn't write down, but she said, I would have thought a couple of years ago with enough money and a house to live in that life would be awesome and a husband that life would be awesome. And he was like, so I bore you. And she's like, no, like she really has nothing to do. Yeah. Um, and basically she's like, careful what you wish for. If you get everything you want. You could be really bored with it. And that's how it is. Like she's, she, her husband's great and she keeps a nice house, but she's got literally nothing to do. And she's a, clearly a brilliant person and her just, her brain is going crazy, but it's sweet because like, I didn't know that a author at this time would have like incorporated this magical realism. What I consider from Latin American uh, literature, that magical realism, because she's like, if we could find a fairy, to give me this wish for the adventure that I want. And then her husband is like, oh, on this film I developed, there seems to be some sort of mark on the film that if you zoom in, it looks like a fairy. And then and he's like, cover what you wish for because we might just get what we want. And then all of a sudden his boss shows up and is like, I need you to pretend to be a secret spy detective agency, which is like exactly what she was asking for. So right. it's like, it's, it's, it does have that magical realism thing where she wills this into existence, which I think is so interesting to look at from today's lens. Cause like from a 2020 lens, everyone's all about manifesting and. Right. Totally. Into into existence, which I wouldn't have thought of in 1929 or from a British perspective, but like Agatha Christie definitely had this perspective of where it's like, you want this, you say it out loud. There's fairies in the room. It's going to happen. Google so then we get into the first um mystery which and the first thing they go and they go in they're like okay we're gonna we're gonna pretend so they set it up totally faking it till they make it so they were like they put in all these things like albert who they oh my god so albert is when they're just living being and she's being bored albert is their i guess servant because at a certain station in life at that time i guess you had servants even if you didn't need one necessarily but albert when they first introduce him is like pretending to be a long Island Butler. He's just trying on characters, just like they're trying on characters, right? They're all just kids playing a part. So when they decide to have a fake detective agency, now Albert is like super into the part of being like, well, the office boy. Yeah. He's like so into the part and he's so good at it. And I love it. Like, I think he's so delightful as a character. So, the first they complain about the fact that everybody who comes in to do a detective agency is trying to get something on their who are, their partners they could uh, their spouse they could divorce them. So right. they were like, 
So they've had to say in their announcements, in their advertisements, like, we don't do that. So, right. And then they were like, but then we have no clients at all because the only clients that were coming in were divorce, divorce cases. So then it's like, ah, and then there's that great quote that you said, it's easy in detective novels because one works backwards. I mean, if you want, you know, the solution, one can arrange the clues, which is such a hilarious being written by an author saying that like, it's it's easy if you know the solution. Like, I just think Agatha Christie does so many winks. Like she, in every book we've read so far, I think she does a reference to novels. She's like, Oh, but that only happens in books. Like she always has at least one reference to like the fictional aspect and the and the fact of like being in detective books she always has a reference to that in every book but then the way that in that quote the way that she's like it's easy in a novel because you know the solutions you can write out the clues and i'm like oh my god she just she just she just gave it away totally (laughs) awesome (laughs) but then that in of itself gives tuppets an idea and so she runs off and leaves tommy alone it's like uh i got an idea i'll be right back and so then the first client, and they could tell it was the real thing. And what I love, and they do this at almost every one, is that the client shows up and they can't be like, we're a detective agency that has no cases and we're not actually real. So instead, Albert tells the client, <laughs> we're super busy. We were helping out the Grand Duchess. Oh, and also the Prime Minister. Oh, Wait, what's the that. fake name of the detective agency? What's his name? Blunt. Theodore Mr. Blunt. Blunt, Mr. Blunt is on is on the phone with Scotland Yard, and like he's just like he's so like Albert is so good at playing the part, and like being a person in a couple times in my life with like former partners or friends being involved with the fledging business where you're pretending to be legit when you're not. I like totally identified with that, where it's like, yes, I'm on the phone with Scotland Yard. You must wait for me. It's not that we haven't had a client ever and we're so excited to see you. Like, I totally identified with that as someone who's been in that position before. And then like the fact that uh, Tumpets in her office just went and started randomly typing on keys. (laughs) To just make noise of a typewriter. <laughs> like, look like, at how busy it is in here. You hear totally typewriter? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, we're super busy. And then, um, so the case itself was this guy was like, I really like this girl, but I don't. Oh, yeah. I, and I want to point out that when he comes in, he's described as, from Albert's perspective, a tough if there ever was one. And I didn't know what tough meant. So I asked Google. And apparently it's someone from the upper classes. It's like right. of the aristocracy. But I was like, what does that even mean? I didn't know Toff as a slur. So the plot of this small case was the guy was like, I like this girl and I would always like stop by when I was walking by where she worked. And then she didn't show up to where she worked, which was a hat shop. And um, now I realize that she's not there and they don't know where she is. And I realize I actually really like her. So I want to hire you to find her. And so Tommy's like, oh, God, okay, we're going to do this. And oh, and then Tuppence, (laughs) oh, I also love is that this guy like talks super slow and was like, yeah, she's like pretty cool. And like, she was really pretty. And Tommy's like, and in it, they describe in the book, he's like, Tommy was bored. He was about to go to lunch. Yeah, Tommy was not into it. The first client they've ever had. And Tommy was still like, 
I mean, Tuppets, can you take this? Because I need to go to lunch. Like, yes. he was bored. Even, you know, this is the first client they've ever had. He was still not that he got it. Well, he got really excited at first. And then he was like, okay, I get it. You like her. <sighs> you know? <laughs> so then Tuppets <laughs> offers 24-hour service. And Tommy's like, oh, crap, oh, crap. So he's going to hospitals trying to find the picture. And then it turns out that Tuppence set up the whole thing. So it was a friend girl- of hers because it was a hat shop she always went to because all she had to do was buy hats. That was the only thing she had to entertain herself. So it was her BFF at the hat shop. But then was she dating actually this knew- upper class guy. But she actually knew the girl from uh, the war. Like they were nurses together. Back that's in right. The war. That's right. That's right. And um, and then this guy was kind of like they weren't dating. Like he wasn't getting around. He was wishy-washy. He was wishy-washy. So her disappearing was going to like made him realize that he really liked her. And that's when Tommy was like, hey, that's you're tricking him. And then, yeah. And so when he finds that out from Tubbis, he was like, this is totally immoral. You're you're tricking him to marry beneath the station. And I was like, interesting notes about classism in British culture here. But I also think, think that was he annoyed about that? Or that, but mostly he was annoyed about the idea that you think it's the guy chasing the girl, but actually Tommy got a glimpse behind the scenes of the girls making the guy miss her and then therefore fighting. Which again, so there's a comment on classism, right? Because Tommy yeah. was like, it's immoral to make him marry beneath this station, which I just is, is interesting for me to learn about in terms of British classism. Um, and I think that whole thing where someone is wishy-washy and you do a play to get them to be more invested is also interesting and usually a terrible outcome. There was a time in my life when I told my sister Portia, you might know her from this podcast, (laughs) I, um, I was like, hey, text me every two minutes about something. Do you remember this? Vaguely. So this is a hundred years ago. I was like, hey, Portia, text me every two minutes. And she did. And it totally worked. And it totally hooked the person who was being wishy-washy. But turned out they were a terrible partner. (laughs) Because like hooking someone by the fact that they were hooked by outside attention. And they were like, someone else wants you. So now I want you. Is not a good basis for... And so the fact that you went missing, so now I want you, like, that's not, like, that's not a healthy person. The fact that you have to play these games to get this person to be invested in you. Well, but to be fair, if wishy-washy guy was just like, I like this girl, do-do-do-do-do, I like this girl, do-do-do-do-do, and he never really thought about it, but then she, I mean, suppose, okay, she didn't have to disappear. (laughs) Fake her own disappearance. But she could have just like gone on a trip or been like, oh, I can't see you for a while. Like basically, like if you're interested, it's right. on you. She to make could have move. made those boundaries herself instead of being like, maybe I'm kidnapped. She could have been like, dude, figure it out. Let me know when you figure it out. Right. Which but, I could have done too. I could have been like, hey, figure it out. Let me know when you figure it out to that right. person. But instead, I was like, I feel like I'll, I'll do a passive-aggressive game, which right. totally worked, Except but backfired the- in the end for the person who was very terrible at being in a partnership. Right. But I'm just saying that, like, 
it's it's sort of a red flag, you know. Right. It's sort of a red flag that you need to do these passive aggressive game playing things. On the class which, thing, which I agree, I agree. Mm-hmm. But on the class thing, um, so he's like, you're getting this toft of Mary below his state his station, and Tuppence goes. She actually liked that weak need guy, and what? Right. And I remember in the description from the narrator, is that like he has no chin at all. So like they don't make him sound great. Like he sounds like kind of weak and kind of boring, and they don't I, make him sound like Agatha Christie doesn't describe men as attractive or not attractive the way she does women, but she does describe him as having no chin to speak of. She actually says that. So I'm picturing this like Simpsons face, right? <laughs> But oh, T- Tuppence said, "What that family needs is some good red blood in it." So basically, they have been aristocrats for way too long. Which is interesting because, again, like having mostly red American literature, I don't like. I I think of that terminology as red blood American, but I don't know about that in terms of like British society, in terms of like blue blood being aristocratic and like red blood being so the working just, class. So just a explain that if you got if nobody else knows that the reason that people would call really rich people blue bloods and really and poorer people red bloods is because rich people were pale because they never had to work outside so they were always under umbrellas they were always and obviously we're talking about british people so we're talking about all white people and so they were totally covered so you could see their veins and their veins were blue but then people who had to work outside a you could see their veins because they got sun and b they were much more likely to bleed you know like you know and so their blood was seen as red but blue bloods were seen as people that were so rich that they never went outside and therefore were very pale therefore had blue veins isn't that interesting an interesting question about but she was basically saying and Tommy is like why are you setting these people up and Tuppence is like clearly he needs somebody whose family has not been interbreeding that's not what Tuppence (laughs) said she just said what that family needs is some good red blood in it but right that has some chin right contribute to the gene field which I'm not okay. against. I just thought it was interesting with the gameplay. Okay, moving on to the next story, which is the which second is ne- mystery. And the actual first crime. <laughs> the actual first one, because the first one was like a setup from Tuppence. So. so now this one is when then they finally decide, that, okay, now we have to start copying. So the first one they make up, like she creates the mystery, like a mystery novelist. But the, the second one, they decide that they're going to copy up uh, detectives from fiction yeah and it's actually tommy's idea it's super cute he's like going through their bookshelf and like arranging the books and basically going through author by author like we're just gonna just try on all these personalities and see what works because we're novices and we can't not be novices so we're just gonna try on all these different detective personalities so this is the mr of the pink pearl and mr no chin was at dinner with these people when something came up missing and he'd been talking about his experience about how they'd found his missing now fiance and so these people literally came in and hired them as the first clients and so this the story is um that it's a family who isn't an aristocrat but isn't not they're apparently 
kind of in the middle. Uh, they had uh, a woman with a title visiting, and then they had some Americans visiting, and they were probably having the woman with the title visiting to show off to the Americans. And that's right. that um, that uh, quote that you have. You know how Americans are about titles, and then Tommy says, <laughs> and Tommy not says just- to the. And he's like, it's not just Americans, Colonel, blah, 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 because he's got a long title. And it's like, huh, yeah, funny how Americans are like that, Mr. Sir, with all these titles, who's <laughs> title right, chasing, who clearly. showing off the, you know, lady yeah. with the title. So, yeah. and then there's also the thing was like, the daughter comes and says, will you come help? And then she was pissed about coming, where she's like, will you come help? But she really doesn't. I don't even want to be here. You guys don't even understand. I'm going to do a TikTok about it. And then it turns out. I'm going to go eat a Tide Pod. (laughs) It turns out it's because there's a guy she likes who's she wants to marry, but he's got socialist ideas. And um, he was at the dinner and he's a socialist. So everyone's assumed that he's the one that stole the pearl because he's a socialist. So clearly he's steely. And the daughter, who's rebelling from being in this like upper middle class climbing waspy home, is like, I love the socialist, but he stole the pearl. So this is all. Ah. Yeah. So don't find out who did it, because what if he did steal it? Um, what's cute is that so Tommy decides to be Thorndike, which again, Portia and I haven't read a lot of these like authors that they reference. Um, so we're learning a lot with you guys as they go. So Thorndike. It's a detective and impersonate Thorndike. Um, Tommy decides to like take up a lot of pictures and say that it's like advanced technology and he's taking this photographic apparatus that takes advanced detective pictures. And Tuppence decides to be Poulton, um, who she so, says, when he's like, You can't be Poulton. And she's like, I can rub my hands together when I'm pleased. And that's quite enough to get on with. <laughs> So apparently Colton rubs his hands together when he's pleased. So, so this, um, yeah. So apparently I looked up, so Thorndike was kind of a doctor detective. So he was a medical doctor who did detective stuff. So he was doing more like the, you know, to age myself, Quincy. That was an eighties reference. But the house. <laughs> yeah. House, yeah. Well, yeah, but he solves murders. But House doesn't solve murders. He's just a right. Bit Quincy old. was a doctor who solved murders, but I don't know Quincy. 80s. It was an 80s one. How did you? I don't know. Anyway, but Poulton was his assistant. Okay. And so they did a lot of like take pictures and look at blood and analyze. They were doing what forensic work. Now, the guy who wrote these, and I'm reading off of. A page. So the uh, the guy who wrote these was alive from six, 1862 to 1943. So um, it was pretty contemporary. Like these books were coming out at the time. Um, and which so- I think is so cute. Like it's so cute that she's writing this thing where she's referring to authors that are ongoing writers. Like I feel like it's a unless it's insulting would be a cute nod. Right. Like I don't right. have the authors felt about it at the time, but it seems like a sweet nod to be like, this is how you guys would handle this case. So in it, Thorndike, so he says he gets a camera and it's just a regular camera. I mean, fancy, but he's like, no, 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 it's a Thorndike camera. So it's like my super fancy apparatus, <laughs> um, which of course this wasn't a medical d- 
Mr. Eso. No, it was just like so we didn't set that up, but in the in the case, basically, this rich American lady had a brooch and she took it off and then like she found it later and the bro- the pearl was missing from it. Like the diamonds were still there, but the big ass pearl in the middle of it was gone. So it was like, did the daughter steal it because she was acting shady? Did the socialist steal it because socialists be socialism? You know, or <laughs> Like, what happened to the pearl? So, there's nothing medical in this, but Tommy comes in with his photographic apparatus and is like, <laughs> I am taking pictures of the crime scene. Because this is my first case and I'm pretending to know what the hell is going on. So, they also say, like, wait, if you're going to be Thorndike, you have to take the smoker's companion. And they're like, uh, we don't have one of those. I guess we could grab a corkscrew. Yeah, and so what act- is that? You said you looked it up because I was yeah, like, I had no idea what link. that was. Click on the link. I gave you a okay. link to a small I'm clicking on the link, but like the, the, the listeners can't hear the link, so you tell them. So it was basically for people who were smoking, uh, pump, putting in their, pumping, the, putting their own pipes together. So they had to take the tobacco and poke at it and take parts of it and put it in the pipe and it was like but all these different parts you know it was like a a multi-tool for like you know it was like a swiss army knife or a you know but for smokers it was like oh this end is for packing the end of the pipe and then oh i see that it's like it's yeah it's like it's like a leatherman for pipes right so but they were like we don't have that um so let's just grab a corkscrew <laughs> and just to tell you it looks nothing like a corkscrew it's nothing like a corkscrew it's like a couple it's of metal. like blades yeah it's metal and i might be around the same size as a corkscrew so but i just okay. love that that's what they're you know like they were like we have to be so they talk about grabbing the camera and the the corkscrew before they leave to go <laughs> So anyway, and again, so- I totally related to that. Like in terms of like playing a part, we've all done that. Where you're just like, this will make people think I'm legitimate. It's this corkscrew that has nothing to do with anything. But sure, I'm taking that. I'm gonna be like, yes. I just and need then- my smoker's companion. And then Tommy's quote that, that's so great. When he's like, after he finds out and he goes to the house, he's like, the position amounts to this. He's in the pearl is in the house. Or it is not still in the house. <laughs> and yeah, and then the rich guy who hired him is like, quite so. Like, he's like, so impressed. And he's like, like, either the pearl house or it is not in the house. And then <laughs> they treat him with such reverence, like, oh, he's a genius. And then he's like, I have to, I have to search the house. And if it's in the house, it's hidden. And they're like, he's a genius. <laughs> so they search and then the and the narrator's like with maybe more enthusiasm than was <laughs> warranted like the I... narrator owns the fact that tommy didn't say anything <laughs> but that but... these people are so invested at this point in his you know kabuki of this whole thing that they're just like yes he's doing this he's... he just told us either the pearl is here or it's not <laughs> <laughs> so when they do the search they run into the lady with the titles maid, who is French, which apparently impresses people. And she's acting a little shady. Yeah, and then the narrator is like, Tommy wasn't that impressed with the fact that she was French, but this guy, the, the colonel or whoever who is the host, was definitely very like, she's French. <laughs> <laughs> 
So she was acting kind of shady. Tommy figured it out, had her touch something and take a picture of uh, her and then left without telling Tuppence what was going on. And he went to Scotland Yard, which, of course, it takes a while to get the fingerprints and the picture. And it turns out she was a a thief from way back. And she's been traveling with this lady with a title because the lady with title always stays at rich people's houses. And then, boom, there you go. Stuff to steal. And the, people already, there was a rumor going around about this 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 lady with a title that she was steely. So this right. French maid was like, well, let me just work for her because if people already suspect her of stealing, I can be steely and they'll just think it's her. Right. But she was like, you know, silver spoons kind of stuff, which is something, but not a pearl. So, but anyway, uh, but Tumpence was like floundering around like, Tommy didn't tell me what's going on. I said, huh. And but she had other other suspicions going on because she didn't realize what was happening. And then the the girl who didn't want them to come and her boyfriend were like busy like suspecting each other and like yeah. And so Tuppence was trying to tap dance and then Tommy just shows up and is like it was her. So they they figured it out. Yeah. So and then, then Tuppence is mad, but and he's like, "Well, you did that to me in the last case. Well, you and your friend had a fake mystery and didn't tell me." So he's like, "Ha, it's even." Yeah, so and that's cute. Like I think the banter between them and the relationship is oh, cute in that totally point cute. because like she had the power in the first mystery, and then in this one he figured it out, but he didn't tell her both because he didn't want to give it away to anybody who might be eavesdropping, but also because screw you, <laughs> you made me look stupid last time. Right. So the second mystery isn't really a mystery. They actually get so when they first open up their fake detective agency, the. Scotland Yard person is like, hey, if you get a blue letter with a Russian stamp, you have to be suspicious and like send it to us and all these things, right? Because that's the whole thing is this detective agency is supposed to be a front for some sort of a Russian spy contact. And if somebody comes in and mentions the number 16 or a ham merchant looking for his wife, dun dun dun. So so they they get a blue letter with the Russian stamp and they're like, oh shit. This is what he talked about. This is the thing. We got to do it. And then a, a doctor comes in. A guy says, I'm a doctor. And there's something going on that people keep trying to sneak into my uh, office to steal alkaloids. And I've been, I got a message that I'm supposed to go. And so they're probably going to try to sneak in tonight. And as soon as he walks away, um, Tuppence says, Clubfoot. And so, did you understand that? So, Clubfoot was the name of the book, one of uh, the books about uh, the the Oakwood brothers, Francis and Desmond Oakwood. And now, why she was saying Clubfoot? Because basically, when she said Clubfoot, it meant bullshit. Oh. She's basically saying, this smells like a trap. Does that make sense? Oh, okay. Because I was like, the way he walks, does he have some sort of, like, yeah, I was literally going, you know, me. So I'm going like medical with the thing, but no. Right. He's saying it's a trap. Right. Because I think that that's what happens in Desmond and Francis stories. So uh, again, the right, the guy who wrote this, um, wrote was alive from 1883 to 1846 so again pretty 
in 29, he would have been, you know, right in the height of writing these. Um, so, so they talk about being these two brothers and they argue about Desmond and Francis. They argue about who's going to be who. And then another guy comes in and says, Hey, I'm, uh, I'm from inspector, uh, uh, Scotland Yard. I'm inspector, uh, can't remember and uh, I know what's going on and I know that you got a letter today you should not go with that guy they're clearly going to search your office and so then they have a big argument because and this happens over and over again where they say Tuppence don't do this this could be danger and D- Tuppence basically says fuck you that's no, why so you kept arguing and then at some point you're like alright fine and you realize, it, like, when you go back to reread it, that's when she's like, all right, fine. I'm going to go to Scotland Yard. Because, like, you're not listening to me, Tommy. This and, is a bunch of clubfoot hooey. And this inspector sure. is giving me a, a, you know, because he came in and he said the number 16. So, uh, anyway, so they fart around with this inspector, Tommy does. And then they go back to the office and then they knock Tommy out. And they start searching and she, Agatha Christie does her whole, at first I thought it was a, an Englishman, but now he was clearly a, um, a, a foreigner speaking English without an accent. And I was like, okay, I don't know what made that clear, but anyway, so Tommy is scared, but an asshole. Like he is such a, t- a prick during this because the guy he does a like, good job of just like maintaining his confidence and being like, "Okay, fine, I'm caught in your trap, but whatever." Here's and they're like, "We're gonna torture you to find the letter," and he's like, "No, no, don't do that." Um, and he's you know, he maintains he- this like self confident kind of like being an ass the whole time which is very endearing in the in the context like he's not right, scared right. he's just like okay fine all right you got me whatever and then he they said write a letter to uh your secretary because at that point they don't you know know who Tuppence is and they say like tell her to bring the letter because she probably took it so he writes a letter and he signs it francis which was one of the two brothers they were going to pretend to be as a clue to her that this is not real. Right. And the bad guys are like, Francis, is that your name? And he's like, check my cigarette case that you just took from my pocket. Which, it's a long story, but um, Tuppence was giving a cigarette case to somebody named Francis and wrote, Francis loved Tuppence, which she was giving as a wedding gift to somebody else, which I could see why Tommy was like, huh, that's interesting. But then it Wait, uh, is that where that came from? Okay. That was the thing where she was referring re- like referring to someone else's wedding. I, f- I missed yeah, that. Yeah, it was a wedding gift and he was like Oh, and he was totally jealous over that. Yeah, he was. Oh. And but then they used it. So I missed it that reference. Well. Yeah, but that makes sense. So like at the time he made him jealous, but then he could use that name to be like give her a red flag, which she right. already knew because she's not stupid. So then they caught the fake, uh, they caught the fake inspector. So that story, in terms of like mysteries, wasn't that interesting. It was a little bit more like a spy moment. There. But it was cute because you're like, oh, there really are Russian spy things happening at this detective agency. So you guys are pretending to be fake detectives and like doing your best faking that. Meanwhile, 
there is some weird ass spy shit that is going to happen. Right. And like, right. so it's sort of a manifestation of that. Like, this is real. Right. So the next story uh, is interesting because it starts out of them looking for a mystery. Right. So Tuppence again is bored and is sort of like, oh my God, we need to go dancing. And Tommy's like, look at our new ad. Doesn't it look nice in the paper? And she's like, I want to go dancing. I'm so bored. I want to go out to nightclubs. Yeah. And then he does a whole thing about like newspapers have different amounts of dots in each letter. And then she, the, this quote is such a great quote. So yeah. Read it, read it, read it. When I was a nice young girl, I was brought up to believe that men, especially husbands, were dissipated beings fond of drinking and dancing and staying up late at night. And it took an especially beautiful and clever wife to keep them at home. Another illusion gone. All of the wives I know are hankering to go out and dance and weeping because their husbands all wear bedroom slippers and go to bed at half past nine. (laughs) So I swear I actually said this quote to my (laughs) ex-husband because we had this issue where I was like, I want to go out dancing. I want to do things. And he was like, but I want to go to bed. And now you were tuppence. I was totally tuppence. Now it turns out that, you know, um, also there was other reasons why I shouldn't be married to him. But I remember thinking I had read this book when I was a teenager and read it and I went, huh, I wonder if that's true. And then I got married to my first husband. Well, and I think so. Still, there's that cultural stereotype of like men being restless and women being content being at home. That's not necessarily always the case. Right, right. And so, yeah, so you found that you were the one that was restless and your husband was like, let's just be boring and at home. And you were like, I'm so bored at home. I want to go out dancing. Right. So anyway, so in that context, Tuppence is looking in the ads in the paper and she sees this mysterious ad that's like, Queen of Hearts seeks blah, blah, blah. And it's it's a very like cloak and dagger sort of ad in the paper. And it references this club that she knows about. And like, I want to say that it sounds like in those times from this story, I get the context that people just are in costume a lot. Like it's like a cosplay era where you like just might be in cosplay any day of the week. Well, it's not like you have to even be at a costume party because when they go out to this party where they're supposed to be in cosplay they don't call they call fancy dress they call it fancy dress but they like go to dinner first in their cosplay so like it's totally normal to be in cosplay life and then then, like they go dancing and then they go to this small club still in but like no one's like oh that's weird that you're dressed like that because tuppence is dressed in drag and tommy's dressed as a fireman Right, he's a fireman, and she. But like, in, it's yeah, normal. Like, ensued. they're like they call it fancy dress, and they're. Of course, we would think the term fancy dress would mean like uh, black tie. But I learned that in the previous book. What was the one? the The man in the brown suit. They use fancy dress to mean costume. To mean costume. So I learned that in that previous book. It was, a but thing. it's like it wasn't a big deal. They weren't like he wasn't like, oh, I'm horrified to go in this to another place where people don't know. It's like a costume party. He's just like, oh, fine, I'll do it. But it wasn't weird. I love that. 
So the people that they were dressed as was the people they were trying to um, copy, uh, the detectives they were trying to copy. In this case, were American detectives written by an American woman, um, McCarty and Riordan. I don't know much about them. Uh, so I don't know much about, but I thought it was in- that it was an American writer and a woman writer that I've never heard of. So who died in 1924. So what's her name? Isabel Ostrander. Okay. Isabel. Yeah. Ostrander. So McCarty is supposed to be Tommy. uh, Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It's like a firefighter and his friend. Yeah, I didn't quite understand. Uh, yeah, I, we but like I just up. I was just like, I mean, you had me a drag, so like, Tommy's <laughs> is wearing one of Tommy's old suit and drag, and I was like, oh my god, I'm so into it. So then, um, they go out dancing in their costumes, and then what happened was is that a woman was killed, and they hear the murder happen, and everybody's in costume, and she says this guy Bingo did it, and then the inspector comes and it's the one they know and he's like well you know this was a woman she was married to this guy and then they have a good friend named bingo and so was living with them who it looks like bingo must have done it because that's the costume he was wearing and that was her secret secret lover man and then tom they figure out because of the newspaper thing um, looping back to the conversation they had at the beginning of the story that so uh, well done by the way so well done. like he's boring her with these things about the dots and the headlines and like how that ends up being clutch in the end of the mystery it's like so well done and then they uh, uh, realize that the husband put the same costume out of newspaper over his costume and killed his wife. Yeah, so um, he basically, the husband realized his wife was sleeping with his best friend who's living with him because that sucks. And then, but also, and then she kills his money. wife, frames the best friend, knowing it's, that, because like if she was going to run off with the best friend, he'd be broke. So if, if he kills the wife and frames the best friend, he'll get all her money. So what's interesting though is most of these stories, not all, but most of these stories, are funny or light or nobody gets hurt. In this case, there's an actual murder and there's only it's a few dark. murders. And unlike almost all of the other Agatha Christie, it messes with Tuppence's mind. She has nightmares about the woman that she saw dying after being stabbed and she's like upset about it. And I really appreciated that because I always used to say like, how come, you know, um, Jessica Fletcher isn't insane because like in murder she wrote right how can you process so much death in real life like I get disturbed just from watching movies how can you process that much death in real life right and so right she was always like oh dear oh my god that's so sad and but it's like no you magically happen to see 20 murders a year like that would make you insane. So like, she never really reacts in a way that I found, you know, uh, credible. But the fact that Tuppence is like, has nightmares about this. I was like, yeah, it sucks. Yeah. So, it sucks. It sucks. And it, and it does. It's sort of like hits home for her. 
that this happened, it hit home for her that her husband would kill her even if she did have a lover and even if there was a financial, like it just, and spoiler alert, when Tubbins is like, I'm pregnant, let's stop this stuff. You get it because it's like, it is a lot to get invested in these people's lives and these people's trauma and drama and all the things. And she's like, I just want to have our baby and not think about people being terrible for a little bit. You get it. So the spoiler is at the very end of the story, after all of the mysteries, she says, I'm pregnant. So we still have like, you know. Okay, I spoiled too soon. But I'm just saying that like, because of that, right? Because right, of like, right, the fact yeah, that that it sense. is traumatic to be all up in people's things and like be all up in these situations. But wait, we're moving on to the missing lady. So this one, they decide to be, or he decides to be Sherlock Holmes and she's like I'm gonna call this the triumph of Hastings and he's like once the idiot friend always the idiot friend so, so they- this one is funny specifically for Portia and me because the protagonist is this Scandinavian and so in the audiobook the reader is doing this Scandinavian accent and our heritage is Scandinavian so we are very familiar with people who actually talk like that and so this is Scandinavian who's fat phobic, turns out. And that's the like crucial plot right, that, that he's a fat phobic Scandinavian, which I don't know to be a specifically Scandinavian thing. We have, but I have, a, I don't we know. We have of all sizes. That's true. I guess so. I've so, never specifically experienced fat phobia from the Scandinavian perspective, but <laughs> like that's just from this book, that's what you'd get. Is that so, the Scandinavian explorer is a so he not comes, fond of a curvy, wo- curvy woman. So he comes back from exploring because he's a explorer Scandinavian for like did, years. Did you catch which country he was from? From the diaspora? No, I did not. He was like a very Scandinavian Oh name, god, it was Gavin And then, and then the saying. reader did a very Scandinavian accent. But I don't think they gave us I don't think they told us which country yeah, he was Yeah, but he was from. supposed to be a famous explorer. And then... Um, they totally um, faked him out by doing the Sherlock Holmes, like, oh, I can tell that you were up um, in the Arctic <laughs> or the Antarctic. And it was totally a fake where he recognized him from the paper. Right, because he's famous. So, But he totally was like, I'm Sherlock Holmes. And he gets out of violin. Clearly, <laughs> he's never been trained to get out <laughs> and so starts funny. running it like and makes a horrible sound and <laughs> and then when the guy leaves so mr scandinavian guy leaves and tuppen says to tommy okay if you're gonna be sherlock holmes i'll get you a nice little syringe and a, and a, and a bottle of oh, cocaine because he's like don't make that noise again please get on hard drugs <laughs> Anything that it was so funny and it's so funny and that's like Again, like this whole journey with you, Portia, is teaching me that like I'd love Agatha Christie doing comedy. Like the <laughs> fact that like Tommy is like running his bow over this terrible violin, you can picture it, and then to- and Tuppet's being like, "Please just get on hard drugs, but not that." <laughs> right? Because <laughs> it's hilarious. Like she's so funny when she does comedy, and you know, as a person in this case, I have read all of the Sherlock Holmes books, um, they do a good job of, uh, of he does, uh, she does a good job of trying to imitate his style. Oops, I realized I missed up Hastings and Watson. 
because she said it's going to be the triumph of Watson. So this missing lady was supposed to be living with staying with an aunt and there he the guy who was trying to look for is engaged so he her. was exploring in the antarctic or Some the arctic there. something um, something so he comes back early and so then he goes to where his fiance is supposed to be staying and the aunt who is overweight and he's like i don't like her because she's overweight and um, he's like and he's saying to them i've never gotten it long with fat women <laughs> Okay, you can't stand that women. <laughs> that sounded like the horrible Apu character on The Simpsons. No, I'm doing Swedish. How are you getting a boo? So bad. How are you getting Swedish? How are you getting a boo? I'm doing Swedish. I'm doing Swedish. <laughs> no. <laughs> Oh, God. There's gonna be a documentary about me now saying the problem with Amanda. <laughs> I know. God. Oh God. I can say that. I'm Scandinavian. I can say that. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. But yeah, oh God. Okay, okay, you do your Scandinavian accent. Oh, I can't here. even uh, I'm not even gonna try to pretend. If order for me to do an accent, I have to practice a million times. I want the listeners to know I was not doing anything but Scandinavian. That was my attempt. Well, at whenever Chris both tries to my relatives and the Swedish chefs at the same time. Whenever Chris tries to do an accent of anything, anything, it turns into a Russian accent. Anytime. It's hilarious because he'll start out trying to be Italian or uh scandinavian or whatever and then i'll be like you, you went russian again every time <laughs> but i am apparent i am excellent at pointing out how other people's accent are not good yeah let me hear your scandinavian accent <laughs> i don't even think i i yeah I'm you've been in scandinavia more recently than me you should be able to do this oh god i don't even think no i'd have to try I, I always do a bouncy thing like i just really don't like uh fat women <laughs> This is our heritage, people. This is our heritage. Okay, that was the Swedish <laughs> chef. In case anybody didn't catch that, the Swedish chef of the Muppet Show. Again, there's going to be a pink piece and then a documentary called "The Problem with the Swedish <laughs> Chef." <laughs> the problem with the Hall sisters. Oh God. Okay. We can say that. We're from there. But don't you call me a pool. <laughs> oh, I'm going to so laughing. Oh, God. Is a bad podcast to just have us <laughs> laughing for <laughs> straight? I think that's bad radio. It's bad radio. Also, radio isn't a thing anymore. It's all 5G now. <laughs> it's all 5G to control our brains. We've lost it. Okay, so in the end of the day, this mystery turns out this chick knew that her boo was fat phobic and he'd been gone in the Antarctic or the Arctic, whichever one it was, with some penguins. But he came back early, so she was like, oh shit, let me go to this fat camp. And 
and who knows she probably been there a week like maybe it was a three-week thing or uh, it was really funny because the tommy and tuppence were taking it totally seriously They're like oh my god she's been she's been kidnapped right so they sneak up in this home. nursing home they climb up the window they're like they found out even though she wasn't supposed to be a patient there they figured out that she's there they climb up the window to go talk to her and then tuppence comes down and he's like she's like let's go and and tommy's like what she's like just go and then turns out that, like this chick is just trying to lose weight for her boo Let's yeah. get out of here. This is a waste yeah. of our time. <laughs> yes, basically. He hates fat women and she got fat. So this sucks. So it was a non mystery. I mean, they found <laughs> her, but then it was like a non mystery. Like it was not a crime. There was no crime. There was no crime. She was basically, there was no crime. She was just like hiding away to get skinny, which who right. hasn't? Who among us hasn't? So um, the next chapter is they basically use the the whole Russian spy thing again but it doesn't make any sense it starts out with Tommy and Tumpin saying and you can tell me if I'm wrong if I shouldn't hate it and if it's good you can tell me I didn't think it was that good it's just dumb so (laughs) so Tommy and Tumpin are pretending he Tommy's pretending to be Colton Thornley Colton, who is a blind detective. Um, oh, right. So they go to a restaurant, so and he's like, hey, we're slow. We have no business. Let me just pretend to be blind, and I'll just, like, practice my skills at, like, listening and sensing. And so it, it turns out at the end that the thing he would put over his eyes actually didn't cover his sight, so he could see. So he was totally just trying to pretend, you know, uh, fake it with tuppence and um, mess with her head yeah, it was just a joke but then they're sitting down at this restaurant and this guy's like hey I'm the duke and somebody's missing um, oh my daughter's missing and then but then Tom and you have to come with me right now and- you can't go back to your office you can't do anything you have to come with me right now and then Tommy figures out that he and I was like wait and that's why that's my first red flag because I was like Tommy and tuppence that I know would be like We'd love to, but we're engaged with a very important case with Scotland Yard. We need to go back to our office and like center ourselves. So I was like, the fact that they went with this, I was like, see, that's a red flag already. Right. Because he wouldn't fall for this. And then they go um, and uh, oh, right before they leave, Tommy does the real uh, this weird, like, I have to choose a menu for a catering dinner next week. And his French is like follow the stranger like in the menu. He was telling Tuppets to tell Albert to come and follow them because he was like, I don't believe that this is happening. And then the And Albert is amazing. So Albert actually follows Tuppets because Tuppets and Tommy get taken in separate cars for some weird reason. And then Albert follows Tuppets and then so Tuppets gets free in Scotland Yard, but then Tommy goes and the guy's like, I've got you in my lair. So the only good thing about this is that the guy's <laughs> like, I've got you in my lair. And Tommy's like, could you be a more stereotypical bad guy? And just makes fun of like... The guy's like, blind. I know you're not blind because I'm not dumb, but like that shade you have on your eyes, you cannot take off because of... I told you not to. 
So you're never going to be able to use your vision. <laughs> right. Which will enable me to use this electrified floor. Which makes no sense. Random Austin Powers. Like, what? Where are you? Like, just shoot him. Just shoot him. If, if he's, if you're like the Russian mafia and he's like impersonating your front and whatever, just shoot him. But you're like, I'm so mad that you're impersonating our, our Russian front that I'm going to put you in this place and like, and you have to, you happen to pre- be pretending that you were blind, which makes this excessively floor. hard. My electrified floor with these random things poking up from it. Like it was just like, so welcome to my lair. And again, I, I think it's not fair to judge it from a 2020 lens when we grow up on Austin Powers and all the things. Like, it's not fair. Or even, from you know, lens. Bond, you know, but yeah, it was so like, I'm a bad guy and I have an electrified floor with knobs poking up. But if you touch, <laughs> you die for no reason. But it was like, to what end? To what <laughs> end? Like, if you just really like, it sucks that you're impersonating this person that was actually a friend for us. I'm going to shoot you in the head with my gun right now. Right. Boom. Right, seriously. To or quote. I'm going to torture you from information. Or right, something that would give me a benefit. But like, I'm going to put you in the situation where you can like maybe escape from my electrified floor, but only if you can see through your dark glasses, like which are not really dark glasses. Da da da. Like it was just, just it was so made no sense. So this is the <laughs> quote he no says, and it was like. To what end? Like, what did the bad guys get out of it? Even if they, even if it worked out to the bad guys' benefit. Yeah. So this is what the bad. Who do they install the electrified floor for? It couldn't be just Tommy, right? Are there more people? Ooh, They're like, I'm read the quote. Don't you understand that I have got you, got you in the hollow of my hand? That you're absolutely in my power. That no one who. That no one who knows you is ever likely to see you again. No one that knows you is ever likely to see you again. That one hit me. And then Tommy goes, can't we cut out the melodrama? Have I got to say, you villain, I'll foil you yet? That sort of thing is very much out of date. Right. And so it's like, Tommy's nodding to the fact that this is ridiculous, but that it is still happening. Like, just (sighs) shoot him in the head. Or don't shoot him in the head. Right. Like, why like yeah so i feel like in some ways agatha christie was self-aware that this was a terrible chapter <laughs> right right because she said that because tommy thinks it's dumb so i wonder if she wanted to do the blind detective and was like how do i make tension how do i make tension with the blind detective i want to do the blind detective uh uh so and even the way that tommy got away is he lights he says, can I have my last cigarette? And oh, then lights right. something, oh, so makes bad. it super bright. So the guy lowers, he did have a weapon. I can't remember if it was a gun or a knife. Yeah, he basically something. like flashes, like flashbangs the guy with brightness. And then so the other guy weapon. And, and then the other guy ends up going on the electrified floor and dying. On his own electrified floor, which made no sense to begin with, because just shoot a person if you want to shoot them. Right. We like, never, I'm yeah. not trying to sound so. Yeah. So it made, yeah. Macabre, but just like kill the guy. Kill so the guy. It's like, like, she why do you has have three stories floor? in this that are about the overall bang, bad, gang of bad guys. So we had the opening one that was like, this is real. We have the final Which worked. Right. That one worked. We have the final one. This one, one was terrible. 
which is about like we're catching the bat- final bad guy and so it's like she wanted to have one in the middle with like the gang of bad guys is still out there and then yeah it's like but uh but but this was dumb it, it made no sense it just was dumb yeah. it just was dumb. It- so let's move on to the next one for this half of the episode because I think that we have been rambling for a long time so we will, we will split this one this book into two episodes but um, to end on a good note okay. let's move on Man so we're going to move into Man in the Mist which I'm so excited for because okay this is admitting my ignorance but like I did not know that Father Brown was a novel I am a huge Father Brown fan on BBC as much as I can, because it's my favorite show. It calms me down. It's like one of my favorite comfort foods. And so when I was like, wait, Father Brown was a novel? I have like a whole new thing to dive into. So that was and exciting. It wasn't me. just one novel. So there were a bunch of no- Father Brown Yeah, stories. apparently, yeah. So I have a whole new thing to, to dive into, which I didn't know. So this one is based on Father Brown, and it's called The Man in the Mist. So apparently, right before this, they had had a failure because... They were in costume. He was dressed as a right. <laughs> a priest for some other reason. And they, you know. Right. So this is how the whole Father Brown thing happens is that like he happens to be dressed as a priest because of the previous thing. And they said, you know, well, whatever. They, the- they sort of gloss over the fact that like he was dressed as a father and it didn't work. And they're like walking home in shame. But they he's were, dressed as no, a priest. They, they were drinking in shame. <laughs> they drinking were, yeah. They were drinking cocktails because they had failed so much. And they and they were like, ah, I thought that was going to be a Father Brown mystery. And then she says, no, in order for it to be a real Father Brown mystery, it has to be creepy. It has to get some weird things that get creepier and creepier. And um, and so then they run into an old friend, and then he has. And he's like, oh, I happen to be with this super famous actress who's like really <laughs> famous, really beautiful. And dumb as rocks. Dumb as rocks. So dumb. And they were like, oh my God, this is Gilda Glenn. I've seen her in shows. Oh my God. And then she's like, wait, you're a priest? And then, and then she's like, you're a priest. And he's like, I am not. I'm dressed as a priest, but I'm not one. And she's like, but you're a priest. <laughs> <laughs> but wait, you're not a priest? Oh my God, come to my house because I have to confess to you, but not confess to you because I understand you're not a priest, but I don't understand you're not a priest. So just come to my house. Right. <laughs> That's basically how it happens that they go to her house. And then they go to her house and she's dead. Of course. But it was super creepy walking to her house because they walk down this lane. There's this lane where there's supposed to be this like ghost cop, ghost cop. And then an- I see a real cop and they're like, oh, we shouldn't be afraid. And they walk right, and they're like, there's a ghost cop. Wait, no, it's a real cop. And then they Hello, go officer. in, and she's dead. And then right as they're going into the house, this other guy who apparently loved her is leaving, and he's, like, freaking out. And then they find her dead. And so they're like, oh, it must have been that yeah, guy. Yeah, so he leaves. He runs out. And they're like, oh, this guy killed her because he whatever. And then they figure out by the fact that uh, who was going up and down the stairs between? Oh, the other the other scandal is it turns out that this famous beautiful actress was like old, and her sister lived there who looked old or middle aged. And then the sister is like the reason why you she wanted uh, uh, Tommy to come is because 
she had a husband from early on before she got famous who she wanted to divorce because she was going to marry a duke and he's like pissed about it and so they're like who's the husband she's like i don't know so they're like who did it but they figured out that between the sister and the maid and the woman who was killed going up the stairs there's like figuring out how many people that it was actually the cop speaking of it was the cop because he was the husband because as portion i know the first has the first spouse is always the bad guy (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly so this was another one that was a murder but it wasn't as sad as the other murder um it wasn't I felt like it was so sad. It was so sad. Because she was dumb? Well, no, no, no. It was more like Tommy and Tuppence. She doesn't care about dumb people. She doesn't care. (laughs) She's like, well, she was dumb. No, Tommy and Tuppence didn't seem as, like, upset by it. That's what I meant. Like, the tone of the story wasn't as, like, oh, what, you know. Interesting. So, uh, but, uh, yeah, so... Tommy and Tuppence, they figure out that it was the policeman who did it, that he was the first... Uh, that he was the first husband. Yeah. So the you know, when they just happened to find this this cop on the street, and he wasn't a ghost cop; he was a real cop. And he was just like, "What are you guys doing there? Assert my authority." But turns out, but he actually just came from killing her, and, and he was asserting his authority to like. And that's why he had suddenly appeared in the mist, is because he had come around the corner, which I found powerful reading in Year of Our Lord twenty twenty. Right. Well, the, uh, and, where the policeman is the bad guy and he's using his power to intimidate which is an interesting uh, observation about policemen as men as men who are angry as men who can use right, their authority and like, policemen being real people and they actually said that like that, that I, I didn't write that out but with some of sort of like they fall police in, are people right they fall in love they marry they get angry right so it's like maybe a policeman he's also a person and that's you know what led him to this murder but it also reminded me of everything that our society is facing right now well i think we're gonna take a pause there because um, it's 1 29 a.m east coast time that's yeah, late it's 10 29 here and i've got babies that wake up sometimes at 5 30 so we will wrap this all right up and we'll do part two of partners in crime on the next one 